You're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we talk to interesting people with interesting taste in music about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and many years ago when I was living in Montreal, I came across a band called Busty and the Bass doing an outdoor gig on McGill campus, and I was immediately hooked. The way they blended and bended genres quickly turned me into a massive fan of their work. I've been listening to them ever since, so we're very excited to have Milo from Busty and the Bass with us to chat about some music. This is Having a Chat. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, I went to McGill for two years and perhaps one of like the craziest or one or one of not craziest, but like fondest memories that I have from my time at McGill was seeing you guys play at Frosh. And that was like when I was first introduced to your music and, and my jaw was very much like on the floor the whole time. It just, it, it was, it was truly like an awe inspiring moment, like not to pump your tires too much or whatever, but like. It was really, it was really just like a you positive. Can, you can pump them, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was incredible. And I also remember going to see you guys in Ottawa, and people in the crowd were doing that like McGill chant, like McGill once, McGill twice, like whatever. Um, and it kind of made me think a lot about like what it's like to be in a band that's in many ways so attached to like one place and one time. Um, at least that's kind of been my perception of it. Um, I played in a band that was based out of Kingston and we were very much a Queens band. And I remember that it was kind of like weird when we would go to like Montreal or when we would go to Toronto. Um, is that like, you know, that that's how I sort of see it as an outsider looking in. Is that sort of at all consistent with like your experience? And And if so, how do you sort of get out from under that shadow or do you even want to get out from under that shadow? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, you have a particular perspective because you found out about us like at McGill as a student, you know, yeah, um, exactly. yeah, fair I enough. would say that like, you know, our, our, our fan base is pretty outside of Canada and Montreal. Like it's grown quite a bit since the olden days of 2014. So, um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Like it's definitely, you know, I, I think that's just sort of the nature of like, any project that's been together for this long, like, you know, we're approaching 10 years in September. It's like, you're going to have people that know you from different phases of, of your existence. And like, hopefully you'll, you know, be working on things enough to, to continue to grow and develop and explore, um, in that time. But you can't also like, you know, you have to accept that every step was part of that journey. And if I just get mad every time anybody mentions OAP, like that doesn't really serve me or the, you know, or their like fond memory, you know? So I think it's, a, right, right. it's just kind of a, that, that was definitely a shadow because it was just annoying after a while for people to like, as if that like, is just like the fixed point of your existence. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's a long winded answer to your well, question. No, but, it, but it is interesting. Cause like, cause I, I always, like I could, you know, <laughs> I got kicked out of McGill and I continued to love and listen to you guys after that. Like by no means should you, are you guys limited to that or nor should you be? But it was just, it was interesting to me, mostly actually just because of that experience at that concert, not in Montreal where people really like McGill seemed to have sort of 
that some weird sense of like ownership of you guys. So I was, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, I think you get that whenever we're, or, or at least in that period of time, yeah, I think yeah, I, I'm not sure what I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're probably referring to a show from like 2016. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So it, it like, there was definitely an exodus of like Canadians go flock to Montreal for school and then flock back to various cities because they don't want to learn French. And then right. like bring that, bring those experiences with them. But yeah, you know, I think it's it's definitely uh, the the base has like changed and expanded um, quite a bit yeah. since since then. Yeah. So as it should, man. As yeah. it should. I'm happy to hear it. Um, yeah, you hope as as, as one might. Yeah, hope it yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So first thing we're going to talk about is uh, your tune "Summer," and I was talking about it a lot with um, with one of the show's producers, and we were talking about the video of you guys playing it in St. James, uh, and like what a moving just like performance and, and, and video. Um, so I, I guess I'm just curious, you know, what was, what was that experience like for you guys and like, and why was it important to, to do something like that? Yeah, it was crazy. It was really like, I had never made use of a church in that way before. Um, like we, you know, we rented it out like the entire day. We like recorded the organ. Um, we recorded, Cause yeah, we, so there's two versions of that song, right? There's the like album version and then there's like the church version. Um, and so, you know, we hired like a group of singers and we hired a string section for the video. And then while they were there, we like tracked them in the other room as the shooting was happening. Like we tracked them sort of in the like green room. Right. And then projected that like those recordings that we did in like this side room in the main body of the church and then recorded the like reverb of the church on those different layers and recorded the organ and we just had we had mics like spread throughout the entire um sanctuary so it was like yeah it was wild it was it was like yeah just 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 it's experiencing sound in that type of a space um and being able to like capture it um is just yeah it's it's there's like nothing like that um i i've i've found yeah and I, you know i just as someone who's always kind of been fascinated by like choral music and stuff like that and, and sort of big old beautiful churches like that it like that was the thing that did strike me the most about it was just the ability to kind of capture that essence like that kind of um that thing that's kind of inquantifiable and almost and very hard to define yeah i mean and you know and obviously there's like wonderful reverb plugins to make anything sound like anything but i i think that was that was sort of what was so special about this is like we were we were recording like actual church reverb and it was all the same stuff in the same space and i think yeah it's just like there's that magic that you just like can't quite put your finger on and i um yeah just like pretty stoked at like you know we, we, we were definitely like we rented the space for a video shoot and then ended up using it for everything um which was which was really fun yeah so, why not i mean if, if you know if it sounds great and it does then why not yeah
Um, all right, so next up we're going to talk about Ruby, My Dear, Thelonious Monk, and John Coltrane. You know, first track off their joint album. Uh, what is it that you like about this song? Um, I mean, it's just the best. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, uh, there's a really, really good um, biography of Thelonious Monk written by Robin Kelly, mm-hmm. um, who is, I think he's either a Princeton or Harvard professor. That's just like the most comprehensive well done study of his life and his music. Um, and it was talking about how he like, wouldn't give any of the guys in his band sheet music and he'd like teach it to them on his piano. And then he'd like change it all the time, depending on how he was feeling. And I read a story that basically like he, he never taught Coltrane the changes for this song. Like, and I'm sure he figured them out eventually, but I think for this recording, like he just taught him the melody and, uh, you can hear that in this, in the, the way that they play it through. And, um, you know, I love Monk and, and I feel like this, this, this track just like captures so much beautiful essence of the world. And I feel, you know, and I feel like, especially for Coltrane too, like a lot of non jazz people have a tough time getting into him just because his, like his most well-known and like arguably most powerful stuff is like not super accessible. Um, right. and, uh, and this, I feel like, is just undeniable. Like, you know, yeah. whoever you are, you can listen to this and be like, this dude is on another fucking planet. Well, it's crazy. Like, I mean, just thinking about sort of like lead band members who are difficult. Um, my, I guess he's like, he's like my third cousin once removed or something. But he he played in uh, Chuck Berry's backing band for a little bit. And it was the same okay. kind of thing. Like, they would be like, all right, Chuck, you know what? What tunes are we going to play tonight? And he'd say like, we're playing Chuck Berry songs like and it, it was it was kind of the same sort of thing where he would you know there were any number of songs that, that you could pick from but it just kind of and it's so weird for me because like we hear that as fans and are kind of like what a genius like you know an eccentric genius but in reality it kind of sounds like he's just being a dick yeah it's just funny to hear stories like that and I and I also feel like for every one story you hear about like the eccentric genius being a dick there's like 15 band leaders trying to be that and just being a dick and yeah. not, you know what i mean being a dick in general so you know i wouldn't i wouldn't condone it yeah yeah fair enough fair enough All right, so next up we're going to talk about uh, How Do You Mend a Broken Heart uh, by Al Green. Now, this song, I had actually never heard uh, the Al Green cover before. Uh, I was very familiar with the Bee Gees version just because my mom is a massive fan of the Bee Gees. Um, And, you know, I'm always interested when people come on the show and they pick a song that's done by multiple artists. Why this song? Or rather, why why this version? Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of say that about like most of the material from that era, I forget, I think it was probably like early seventies or something when, yeah. when that one came out, I'm not sure when the Beezy's version came out, but it's like that, especially like the Motown 
songbook. Like yeah. that was part of their business model is like they had multiple artists record the same song and do different arrangements. And I, um, at least for me, like the Al Green version of this is just like soul with, with strings and not like, and not like huge strings, but like a small string section. I, I don't, I, I haven't actually like looked at how many, strings they had on that version but it does it doesn't feel like one of those massive like orchestral yeah it's not like a massive epic yeah exactly um so i feel yeah i don't know and i feel like there's actually not a ton of like that vibe in the soul repertoire it's either like you know the pop stuff with massive orchestra from like the 50s 60s yeah you know so i just i feel like they, they captured a really beautiful essence with that with that instrumentation and with that arrangement and like obviously al green is the is the man um yeah, yeah of course and i think yeah i i love i love the blend of like different instrumentation in that way yeah a guitar driven kind of like minimal soul track yeah just like super tasty chamber strings arrangements um it's a uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said about, um, and purely just because it, it's intriguing to me about the Motown business model, like where they would just have, like, because I, I guess hearing that it makes sense to me, but what, like, I, I guess, can you expand a little bit more on sort of what you know about that? Because it sounds very interesting, like having sure. Well, I mean, you know, so it's like how many different versions of like heard it through the grapevine there are, yeah, exactly. right? There's like the you know. Um, the Marvin Gaye one, like the, I think there's a Four Tops one. There's like the Glass Knight, the yeah. Pips one. You know, it's like, and all of those were Motown artists. So basically, like Motown as a business, like Barry Gordy's like one of the most genius businessmen of all time. Um, right. And basically, like, yeah, in that era, um, they just existed in like seven houses on this one specific street in Detroit. Um, you know, cause he was black and couldn't, didn't, couldn't get like a commercial business space. Um, and so like one of those houses was like the songwriting house and they had a, they had a portfolio of like however many songwriters, um, under this one dude that ran the A&R. Um, and yeah, ba- I mean, basically like the, the, the business model was like, they got the publishing royalties cause it was their own songs. And like, right, right, right. because they had multiple artists, like they would try out different songs on them. Like they, they, I think they didn't do any like songs written by the artist until Marvin Gaye's what's going on. So like everything up until like the early seventies was all like the Motown songwriting team, um, you know, and then the A&R team would like try out different songs and different arrangements with various artists that they were, that they were developing. That's crazy. Um, Like that's actually such like a, like you're right. It's, freaking genius like i can't even think of like like that makes that ju- you just as you're explaining that i'm like wow that, like that makes so much sense as like a way to run a business like yeah and and i mean and it's like the same thing the, 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 it's it's not like that was unusual like that was being done before that but it was just like the standard songbook so it's like you know there would be a pop song on some broadway musical you know it's like like gone with the wind and then yeah, yeah, yeah. you know 18 different people would record versions of gone with the wind over the next 5 years but i think but what was different with this it was like in-house like original songwriting rather than yeah, just exactly. pulling stuff off of the off of the you know the billboard charts damn that's crazy that's crazy well yeah it's super 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 dope good for them good for them and you know it's cool yeah. that the that the first one to not be like that was marvin gay like what's going on is is 
easily one of my favorite. Yeah, don't don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 I visited the – I have some family in Detroit, and so I visited right. the Motown Museum um, maybe three or four times over the course of its like – because it used to be just like a scrappy, like the one house – like run by the family and then and then they've right. gotten like wow. a ton of investment from like the ford foundation and some other like big things so they're building in, in, this into this massive thing but like i went uh, you know quite a few years ago when it was like this very intimate like you got a like a two hour long tour right like wow. they talked about they talked about all of the details um and i think the thing that's like the craziest for me is like all of these people that we know as like international superstars lived within a like six block radius and that's just because of segregation, right? Like, is that? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, De- Detroit, like, yeah. Obviously, the 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 city is split up by highways, and uh, no, but but like, I mean, the six block radius, yeah, just because like Motown was there, and they just pulled people from the neighborhood, right? Yeah, right. and so okay, and so it was see, really like yeah. the the fact that like you know Stevie Wonder lived across town, but like. Um, you know the Supremes and yeah. like the Four Tops and like the Temptations and like like all of these huge acts were like you could walk to the Motown studio in like 15 minutes um, and that's that's like that's crazy to me yeah that's bonkers man holy cow yeah Movement six from Floating Points and Pharaoh Sanders with the London Symphony Orchestra, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. A newer release, and like I, I first heard about it when because um, I saw Anthony Fantano um, doing a thing about it, um, and it it seems super intriguing to me. Um, what uh, what do you like about it? You you've heard it right? Like you've listened to the record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like it's it's just insane like it, the, yeah. the, the the just the combination of those factors um like floating points like really beautiful you know electronic production pharaoh yeah, exactly. sanders just like legend on sax and then lso yeah yeah i don't know i just feel like it's we're, we're kind of entering into this really cool zone where people are thinking about orchestras in a different way you know? yeah um and I think the like the ethics around like recording and production of orchestra music are kind of shifting, which I think is very for the best. Because like with this, like I think they they recorded parts separately. Like there was there you know there was some overdubs and like, but the essence of just like these f- phenomenal string arrangements, like done by a, like an electronic producer. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, and I think I, I I love that part of it too, where it's like you get like non. I mean, I don't know that much about his background, but like 
you listen to the string arranging and it's not like it's 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 like you can tell that he like plays synths you know what i mean you can you can tell that he's like voicing these things somewhat on like piano or keyboard and then and then obviously taking it from there like and expressing it through the specific instruments but um it's just like there's only so many ways that you can get that level of just like grandeur without yeah. using a proper orchestra. And so, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just, I love like the textures and like the motif development of that, like that one figure that develops through the entire 40 minutes. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's like, I, I think it's, I think it's really pushing the boundaries on like what modern classical means and the, and what you can expect from like a, a, a collaboration in that sense, like a collaboration with like an electronic producer and Pharaoh Sanders and a massive orchestra. Like there's, you know, you just think about those three elements and you're like, how the fuck, what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's kind of where I was, what I'm thinking, like, I, as you're saying this and, and certainly like, as I sort of became familiar with this tune, it, it, it's crazy to think of like where music is at right now, where in so many ways, like, because, because in, in many ways I feel like genres come to sort of, usurp other genres right like certainly you know like jazz and classical and then like r&b and then rock and like you know it just th- there's this progression where you're kind of moving the past out of the way so it's it's really really cool when you can kind of see just th- this blending together and it just like it just kind of you know i, I feel like a, a, a sort of cheesy topic of conversation is like if you could live in like any decade for music like what would it be and i'm like yo i want to live like now because you can hear the LSO and an electronic producer and a saxophone player putting out music together. Like that's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And I think I, I, I just, I love like people who have obviously like, you know, acquainted themselves with the history of the music and the history of like what you're trying to do. And then like take that forward, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, that's kind of like my qualm with, you know, a lot of like trained musicians just like stop at a certain point. They stop at like sometimes at a very specific year, you know, it's just like there's so there's so much more. Um, and I think this is a, a perfect example of like how much more there can be. to man like i mean one of you know it's it's so hard with, with people like this it's hard to know where to even begin um mac miller come back to earth um yeah like it, it, you know one of my all-time favorites one of the all-time greats what do you like about this tune i don't know it's just like it's just tender like yeah because <laughs> i feel like he exists in such a such a specific space like especially this record too like 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 swimming and then the posthumous like circles 
I feel like we're really like, you know, he wasn't like a rapper on those records. It was like, you really heard the full production suite of like his songwriting, his vocal textures, like the collaborations, like all of the musicians, like he, he was just like a pretty phenomenal orchestrator um, in that sense. I think this, yeah, this, this track is just like the guitar and the, and the bass production and like all of the vocals. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's just completely immersive. But yeah, just a powerful opening, like very simple um, opening to that record, um, which was like the last, you know, full, full work that he did. Um, yeah, like I went back and forth on which track to choose from that record, but I think, I think on, on, yeah, just, just that one is just like, it's like, just a good song. Like, you know, there, you can't, can't say much about it. Um, yeah. 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 On him, like, I mean, I, I remember when I was in like middle school, when he was like kind of first bursting onto the scene with like, you know, what the Donald Trump and stuff like that. And like, I remember he was kind of like the music that a lot of the, like the dicks at school liked. And it was such a testament to me when he sort of started like really emerging as like an artist and, and sort of moving beyond kind of that like frat boy kind of rap. And it was just like, to me, it was such an inspiring thing. Just like this idea that like, you don't have to get lumped into one thing. Like you can, you can move on, you can, you can fulfill your creative potential. And like, and that's cool. Like it's just a, a very inspiring thing. Yeah. Cause I got into him like way later. Like, like I, right, I you know, right. it's, 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 I was, I was super late to the, late to the party. And then like, it's just like, when you look at who worked on some of the later records, you're like, fuck that like yeah that's crazy you know and, and then you listen back to it and you're like oh yeah that's that's thundercat and that's snoop dogg and like you know the, the, all of this stuff and and um yeah i mean i think it, you, you know you said it. it's like they're they're like true artists continue to develop and continue to grow and i think like that's just one of the hard parts about the music industry is that like once something is successful it's hard to like change that you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, cause it was successful and it was very, very clear what it was, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, yeah, then, exactly. and, and actually I think that's why I chose that song is because it's like kind of the anti frat rap, totally. you know, it's like, um, like that really just shows him as like a singer and a songwriter. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's why I chose yeah. that. Yeah. That's Mac Miller. Love it. In my own way, this feel like Next up, we're going to move on to Stardust by Nat King Cole. Um, and, you know, an, a, another one kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, multiple people have, have, uh, have done this tune. Um, why, why this version? 
to yeah to me this is like the definitive version of this track um a because it's one of the like only versions that does the full intro um and i think like once you go yeah it's like once you listen to this one and then you hear another version without the full intro for me i'm like yo where's the intro like that like it's it's and and i think like that's one thing that i miss about where jazz went to kind of after that era like after the sort of like late 50s um kind of pop like when it was pop it's like people forget where it was coming from and they stop doing the intros to stuff and they like yeah you you just kind of like lose a little bit of the essence of like what the songs were um and yeah this and this version for me like jenkins like arranged and conducted the whole thing like he did a lot of um yeah a bunch of records with that can cold did a bunch of the sinatra stuff um judy garland um he actually like discovered the weavers as well like um yeah yeah he's a he's a he's a legend um you know, too much Gordon Jenkins gets a little tiresome after a while, but I think like, you, like that, th- this record, the, the, this is off a record called love is the thing. And this for me is like, it's just a phenomenal record. Um, and like the way, you know, like we were talking about, like with the Al Green track, like small strings in a nice vibe like that. And this is just like big strings with Nat King Cole, just, just like impeccable singing. And, uh, yeah, and the arrangement's just like really fun, you know. It's like it's it's epic, and uh, I I think I was surprised at like how busy you can make a string section without it actually getting in the way, you know. Yeah, so it's huh. really like you know the violins are like their own voice, and um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so it, 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 like this record, I think I learned so much about about arranging um, just from kind of listening and trying to piece apart what what he did and now the purple dusk of twilight time steals across the meadows of my heart high up in the sky the little stars climb always reminding me that we're apart You wander down the lane and far away Leaving me a song that will not die Love is now the stardust of yesterday The music of the years gone by um all right so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with uh we're gonna talk about this new ep that you guys put out et yeah um and it seems it's like it's like it's amazing but i it like the the breakdown of it is really really interesting like it's like a five part um sort of structure it's like et part you know one two three like why why go that approach like it, it seems uh, i don't experimental is like overused as a term to describe things like this i feel like but but why why this approach and and more broadly what can you tell us about uh the cp yeah i mean um so it kind of came about last year um i forget i think maybe in the fall um 
I was sitting with Chris, our trombone player, and then uh, Michael, our manager. And we were just having a beer in the park. And I forget like how we stumbled onto it, but basically the concept of like, you know how like the Duke Ellington Orchestra like would do, you know, like the Thunder Suite or like the Tchaikovsky Suite and sort of just like pulled like classical form um, into a jazz context and like, you know, through composed suite. Like they, yeah, they just used the suite format. And um, I forget who said it, but it was, but we, we, we were talking about doing something with ET just because it's a lot, you know, it's one of my favorite tracks off of the, off of the record. And it just felt like there was a lot more to explore with that song. Cause it feels like you're sort of in another universe already. So it's like, let's continue exploring that universe. And then, yeah, Chris and Louie, the guitar player who, who wrote, like he, he was kind of behind the original track. They just like mapped out a bunch of different sections. And then um, we got a bunch of guest features on it to, to do stuff. And then, um, yeah, kind of just like slowly pieced it together. Um, my favorite part is the, whichever part has Pierre Quenders on it. We never get to do stuff like that's that minimal, you know? And I think, I think that's, that's why I was super excited about this is like, we didn't fall into the normal, like, because we weren't together, like we had to kind of do it layer by layer. We got to do just like a bunch of layers of Pierre with Eric on piano, like just doing some super tasty stuff. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I, I, it was such a treat for me. Cause I like, I didn't, I wasn't super involved with, with that project, like, cause we were, we were kind of in different places. And then I heard, like, I got just sent the, like, you know, the mix of it and I listened to it in the car and I just, I didn't even know, like we were doing a section with him and I was just like, fuck, this is so cool. Like, um, cause yeah, it's just like the, the, you know, when you have so many people in a band, it's easy to fall into the same like traps of like, oh, well, everybody has to be playing on a song for it to be a song. It's like, nope not true whatsoever that was why i was really yeah i was just like yeah that one that one has a special place in my heart that that yeah. that part whatever part four yeah yeah it's part four and <laughs> i have a hard time with roman numerals i just yeah, like i i basically the only way i can remember them is from star wars at least from like one to six um but <laughs> yeah they're they're not too commonplace like you're not missing out on much, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. fair enough. But what a, like what an amazing testament to just like the fact that you know after like as you said like ten years you're still hearing like music like busting the bass music and you're still getting like that fired up about it like that you got you got to figure that that's not like that, that that's like relatively unique. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it just it it takes work, but you got to figure out how to grow. And I think the, just the more people that you add, the harder it is, but the more important it is. And like the more rewarding that it can be. Um, Cause it's like, we're all such different musicians and there's our, like our biggest issue is just, there's too much talent to try and fit into the container that we have at like any given moment. So we just got to like keep figuring out how to like expand the container. That's like, that's my current working philosophy at least. Lobaki, 
Um, all right, so to wrap up, we're just going to get you to, um, you know, at the end of each of these things, we get our guests to, you know, plug whatever, you know, E.T. is the most recent release, but uh, basically plug whatever it is that you uh, want to plug, you know, let the people know where to where to check you out and what they can expect to hear from you. Well, uh, we're working on a bunch of stuff right now. I don't know when it's going to come out. Something will be released within the coming months. Okay. Um, such is life these days. Yeah, such is life. I, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to plug really because I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. But um, I don't Yeah, this is I, I, I totally I just failed at this plug. Um, you know, <laughs> it it's, uh, check out our stuff there. It's all there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Too easy, man. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Alex. Thanks so much to Milo for joining us this week. As always, you can find full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts or at havingachat.com. The show is produced by myself, Alex Anderson, and Hillary Johnston, and all social media and marketing materials are done by Petra Walker, so don't forget to check us out on social media at havingachat. And if it's your first time listening, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your app of choice. It really helps us out. Theme music is composed by Duncan Briggs and Sugar Glass. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.